Hello, everyone. The podcast has grown each of the last three weeks. I greatly appreciate those who share and join the podcast. We're getting to the point where there will be more color because we're in the last 35 or so years, and that's obviously more vivid in my mind. Soon, we'll have more photos as well. In one of my moves many years ago, I lost some of my photos and artifacts, <coughs> Excuse me. plus I don't get a mobile phone for many more years, and we know how that changed documenting, well, everything. This week, we're still at Randolph Air Force Base, and while things are going quite well, I'm having some issues that come to haunt me for several years to come. So, that's where we left off last week. You'll remember that I had an abdominal issue, that they didn't seem to know quite what was wrong, and at the same time, felt they couldn't prescribe medication without knowing more. Starting off on my new career, I didn't want to cause a dust-up, so I tried to deal with it as best I could. I left the hospital that day and could barely walk upright, and my boss was driving by by chance and saw me. He took me back to the hospital. He was really upset that they let me walk out in the condition that I was in. The doctor proceeded to do more tests and gave me an epidural to alleviate the pain. When the doctor said he was giving me an epidural, I was thinking, well, I'm pretty sure I'm not pregnant or giving birth. Yes, I didn't know much about it. It just seemed like the term I knew was associated with that. Anyway, they held me for a bit until the pain subsided and I was back on my way. I mentioned that my doc was a young guy. Now that there was a bit more attention on my situation because of my boss, they did test and test and test. It wasn't this and it wasn't that. Finally, he started testing me for really odd things. He tested me for something that only Himalayan women get. He tested me for things that are predominantly found in the continent of Africa. Still, nothing. I remember going in one day and he had this giant medical book open on his desk. When I came in, he looked up and said, I'm stumped. You know, that's not what you want to hear from your doctor. So by this time, they gave me muscle relaxants for when it occurred. And then, when it was really bad, I would get the epidural. For some reason... This most painful episodes were in the middle of the night, like 2 a.m. or so. I couldn't drive to get the epidural and was not keen on calling an ambulance. When I could, I would, call, I would just curl up in a ball and try to deal with the medication that I had, but it always didn't work. The frequency was also haphazard. It could be a couple times a week, or it could be weeks and weeks before, between episodes. Finally, I relied on my friends. I alternated and would call Steve one time, and then the next time it happened, I would call Ed at those wee hours of the morning to get to the hospital for the epidural. That was not fun for them, to be sure, but they always did it. I remember those drives. Sometimes they would hit a bump, and I would just reach out and wrench out in pain. Anyway, finally, the medical community called it irritable bowel syndrome, which is what the term that is used when they have no idea what you have. They finally prescribed a strong muscle relaxant that basically was so relaxing that it would put me to sleep. This seemed to work for the next bit, and over time, like the next 40 years, I would grow out of several medications. Oh well, at least I didn't have to call people to help me out in the middle of the night. Back at work, I'm learning pretty quickly about the many parts of MWR, and I'm enjoying the diversity of the organization and the kind of work that I had. 
I mentioned that some, like libraries and gyms, were funded completely with tax dollars, and others were mixed between tax dollars and non-appropriated funds. Over time, this too will evolve in the Air Force, and that will come as we move through the journey, because I'm almost right in the middle of that. At one point, we were having some difficulty with the fund because the business activities, primarily the clubs, were losing more money than was allowed under the regulations. Les had me round up about six or seven people. Some were managers, some were line employees, some were across the organization, and I couldn't figure out the theme that was consistent among the attendees. We all got into the office and he said, Everyone here has an MBA. We have a business issue that needs to be resolved. So it seems that the people in this room have the academic background to solve it. I thought, what an ingenious idea. Too often in the military and in other organizations, there is talent that is untapped just because people aren't in charge or assigned a specific responsibility. I learned from this example of leadership and employed it myself as time passed. This group came up with a handful of ideas. We assigned teams to shape a plan, and in short order, we were back on track. So you remember that I had responsibility for a couple of areas, including the Aero Club. I don't remember the size of the club. Randolph, though, was one of the few initial pilot training bases, so we had a fair number of members, both active duty and retirees in the area. There was a time when the director and the deputy director were out, and so you guessed it, I am in charge. I rely on my appraisals in part to try to keep events aligned to the journey, so it seems this incident occurred in the, few, in the first few months of my tenure. I'll add that at the time, the director was a GM-13, which is equivalent to a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. And here I am, a second lieutenant, with a thimble of experience, both as an officer and an MWR professional. Not only was the director and deputy out, it was also a Sunday early afternoon, and I get a call from the command post. The command post on any base is the central location when there is an emergency on the base to contact appropriate organization as events unfold. They have other responsibilities, obviously, as well. There is an Aero Club accident. Great. I have zero idea what to do. I race over to the Aero Club manager's office to see what's going on. Since the Aero Club's activity was primarily on weekends, the manager's days off were during the week, so he was there. Fortunately, there are no fatalities. Okay, bad but not horrible. Wait, not so fast, Lieutenant. The pilot that went down was the son of a retired astronaut. This is a celebrity incident. The Aero Club manager said he has implemented the plan for accidents, and he was very experienced, so I relied on him to go through the checklist. I grabbed a copy of the checklist, put it in my pocket, and called the command post back to find out where the wing commander was. He was on the golf course, one of our activities. As luck would have it, he was with the group commander, who was my boss's boss as well. So I get to the golf course, grab a golf cart, and head out to their uh, location. 
Of course, by now, they have gotten some of the information through the command post that there is an Aero Club incident, just not all the details that I would hopefully help give them. That was my first experience having to share bad news with a senior leader. And as I recall, of course, I didn't have all the answers to their questions and in hindsight was poorly prepared. Remember, though, I learned quickly. Les was back on Monday, and by then, the situation was well under control. I had a lot of learning lessons that weekend. We have another unique incident about a year into my tenure. While I'm a pretty observant person, something I expanded on at Chi Chi's, I'm not the best gauge of some things, as you'll learn here. Again, Les called me into the office and said I needed to be prepared to step in and run the NAF finance office for a short period. The finance officer was well-established and well-respected, so I was a little confused. He said that I needed to go into her office and see if I could locate liquor in her desk. What? Liquor? He noticed that she seemed to be drinking on duty. And of course, that's a no-no. I had to do it so that was a third party involved. So when she's out, I go in and there is a bottle in the desk drawer. He had been documenting her behavior for some time and within short order, she's gone. It's not easy to fire a civil service employee. Someone drinking on the job who's in charge of a large amount of finances, the process does move along much more quickly. These are more lessons for a junior officer. Do you remember what happened just before I left for officer training school in Hampton? Yep, we had that home invasion. Well, I was sleeping in my apartment, which was in the bedroom, just a short, down a very short hall past the living room. I hear a very loud bang. I sit up and in the doorway of my bedroom is a very large shadowy figure. I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, and the intruder, the intruder, runs. It was pretty early in the evening, and I suspect he didn't expect anyone was home, much less in bed. He actually broke down the front door. Okay, really? A second home broken into? This time, the door was locked, and it was pretty scary because unlike the first time, I was face-to-face with the intruder. I called the apartment emergency number and the police. They can't fix a door that night. They secured my apartment until, they, until the next day. I called a friend and stayed with him for a day or two until I was comfortable going home. My recollection is that they'd never caught the intruder and I immediately started looking for a new apartment that wasn't on the first floor. As I mentioned, my job at Randolph is really rewarding and exciting. A lot is going on, and I really enjoyed working with Les. I'm put in charge of quite a few special events. My very first one was the COOL, spelled K-O-O-L, outdoor concert, sponsored by COOL cigarettes. (laughs) How times have changed. Not only was it rewarding to have these projects Uh, that affected the entire base. It was rewarding and important to see what the impact the MWR had on 
growing esprit de corps and camaraderie and community on the base. We had so many special events like the cool concert, supplying support for official events, fitness runs, 4th of July celebrations, and more. There are always big events and smaller events across the many activities. Some include several of them, and some are run by a single or two of the activities. As the operations officer, I was right in the middle of most of them, learning and contributing as well. It was good training ground, to be sure. One of the biggest events across the base was Tattoo at the Taj. This was an event sponsored by the Wing Commander and the Major Command Commander, who is the Four Star General, that brings in huge crowds to watch from both on and off base with a number of dignitaries. Remember that the large building in the center of the circle at Randolph Air Force Base was called the Taj, and a tattoo is a military music performance that showcases the armed forces. MWR has responsibilities for the setup and many of the logistics because we own things like bleachers, vehicles, and activities like the club that provided food for the reception for the distinguished guests. As a result of my efforts, I earned my second Air Force Achievement Medal in November 1986. In addition, I earned a third Air Force Achievement Medal on June 30th, 1987. I am one of the very few, if any others, that have had a military medal removed from my record. I'm sure there are veterans or military people who are listening to this and going, you had a medal removed from your record? At the time the Air Force Achievement Medal was established, and you may remember I was the first to receive this new medal when I was enlisted, there was a rule that a member could not receive two within any 12-month period. After all, medals are not for doing your job, they are for exceptional service above and beyond. Knowing this, I went to the personnel office and asked that my record be expunged of the second Oak Leaf Cluster, which denoted the third award. They had not had a recipient ever asked to have a medal rescinded. After a little persistence, it finally was removed. As you'll see from my record, my name on the special order G45 was officially rescinded, as my official record today shows I earned the Air Force Achievement Medal with one Oak Leaf Cluster, the main award while I was at Langley, and the Oak Leaf Cluster for the Tattoo at the Taj achievements. Surprisingly, this would not be the only time that I have a medal removed from my record. It's not that I didn't appreciate the recognition. I do, and I did. Of course, it's an honor. It was that we must all follow the rules and have the integrity to correct the record when it should be. One of the most memorable events early in my time at Randolph was the open house. An open house is where the base is open to the public for an air show. Often, they are coordinated so that the Air Force Thunderbirds do a show at most of these air shows across the Air Force, as well as other aircraft from current and past time. There are static displays on the flight line for people to get up close to different aircraft and different vehicles, and all kinds of activities for children, families, and, well, everyone. Tens of thousands of guests are expected. MWR has a huge role in all of this. We run the food and beverage booths for the event, 
provide porta potties, set up, provide events for children by the Child Development Center and the Youth Center, and manage the non-MWR organizations to make money at Squadron Booths. It is months and months of planning, and execution is crazy on game day. I'm in the middle of all these different parts, and on the day of the event, I'm on a golf cart bringing things back and forth to different booths that are owned by MWR. But my main job is to collect the cash from the booths and bring it to the central bank room. The bank room is a secure office near the flight line that had an armed security police officer because there is a lot of money. You can imagine there were about 150,000 people over the course of many hours buying food, drinks, and so forth. Yes, we even sold beer at specific booths run by the officer and enlisted clubs. I have huge bank bags to collect the cash. This was before most places used a ticket system. We had cash boxes everywhere. I would pick up the cash and dump it off at the bank room. There were large banquet tables with employees sorting the cash, bundling bills, and rolling coins. I couldn't pick it up fast enough. There would be calls on the radios that we all carried that someone needed to have their cash picked up because the cash box was so full. I don't think I ever saw so much money in my life. To call it crazy is an understatement. It's still pretty fresh in my mind. There was so much cash. And it was so much fun. It wasn't all fun, despite being an MWR. I had to go to the six-week recreation course early on and additionally start the first professional military education, or PME, school that you're required to complete. There are three levels of PME, SOS or Squadron Officer School for Company Grade Officers, Intermediate School for Field Grade Officers, and Senior Service School for Senior Lieutenant Colonels and Mostly Colonels. Today, there is a fourth school called Pinnacle that was established while I was at NDU, or the National Defense University, that you'll hear about then. Each course is offered in residence and by correspondence. The wise path is to take it by correspondence as soon as possible because the chances of going in residence is much higher, especially for the intermediate and senior service schools. Plus, if you don't go in residence, as there are a limited number of spaces, you have completed the basic requirement that is required for upward mobility in both promotion and greater responsibility. Nearly all company grade officers go to SOS and residence at some point, and for this course, it's the timing that is competitive. I partnered with Ed, and we went through SOS by correspondence together. We pushed each other, and the most important thing is to finish it. While there are tests and scores on the tests, the final outcome on your record is complete. Most company officers are also working on their master's degree as well in those first few years because that was a plus up when competing for field grade or major down the line. Since I already had my MBA, that was one thing that was off my plate and that was a real plus in those early years of your career. I'll add that being an MWR officer does have some drawbacks. Other officers don't quite know what we do, 
and saw it as a very soft career field. Many times when someone would learn that I was an MWR, the first conversation was to complain about an experience that they had at one of their activities. It kind of comes with the territory in some ways, and you'll see how my next boss handled that with a great deal of finesse. Further, as the only officer and just a handful of enlisted personnel in our MWR division, while we worked with many other military members, the organization was about 95% civilian. There was an advantage to learning about how that works in the Air Force, yet I believe that without the way that Les mentored me and helped give me opportunities that put me out front, I'm not sure my career path would have been the same. At the end of my first year as a commissioned officer, I repeat what I did as my first year as an enlisted member. I earn an annual award, this time both at the base level and at the major command level. I'm the ATC Operations Officer of the Year. What I've learned from my two Air Force careers is that early success builds on each other and creates opportunity going forward. For me, I attribute it to the lesson learned at the cheese factory of leaning forward when I volunteered to take that pallet of cheese into the storage area while others went on break. I also very much attribute this early success to the leaders and going into a career field that I didn't want to be in, yet with the same enthusiasm and tenacity that I would have in any other. I said this to others along the way. If it wasn't an important job in the Air Force, then there wouldn't be that position, because it's not like there's an abundance of extra people to do the Air Force mission. So winning the ATC award, each major air command then nominates, nominates their winner to compete for the Air Force Operations Officer of the Year. We'll find out what happens with that the next time. Typically, a new officer's first assignment, unless it's overseas, is three to four years. At about the one-year mark, another surprise comes my way, and it's not one that I'm expecting at all. I'm told that I'm the top of the list for a short tour overseas. Wait, wait, what? How could that be? In a nutshell, overseas tours are either short or long. A short tour for a single member is one year, and two years for married members who are accompanied when that option exists. Not all short tours have that option. Long tours are three years or longer. Not only am I at the top of the list, I'm informed that they already know where I'm going to go. Oh, you're going to Osan Air Base in Korea. What? Wait, no, wait, This something's wrong. I call the personnel office, and by this time, through the CGOC, I have a colleague contact. She agrees it must be a mistake. I'm a junior lieutenant. Nope, it's not a mistake. The time I was enlisted, even though there was a break in service, counts, and so instead of having one year of service, for this purpose, I have eight years of service without a short tour, and that's a very long time. There are options. There is a little-known rule that if you're born in a foreign country, 
you can opt out of ever being assigned to that country without any adverse personnel issues. The reason is that if you are foreign-born, even though you are a U.S. citizen now, you could, under some rules, be conscripted into their military. Now, while I doubt that would ever happen, even in 1987, it was a rule that was on the books that I could take advantage of. So, if I opt out, where do I go? Because I'm still at the top of the list. Shimia, Alaska. Shimia, Alaska is an island off the coast of Alaska. It's going to be isolated, it's going to be cold, and I'm thinking, I don't know. It's not really a difficult decision. Well, okay, it's a very difficult decision. Next week, we'll learn how I make my decision to go to Osan Air Base. At least I still have a few months at Randolph to learn as much as I could and prepare myself for this new adventure. There is a leadership lesson here for my listeners who are in the early stages of their career, military or otherwise. Your boss and your boss's boss have been where you are. In some cases, it's been a while, and I get that. A lot changes depending on how long that period is. Your expertise educates them on those changes. And at the same time, their experience in each level of the organization is something that you can learn from them. And how they mentor you is based on that experience. I'm going to have a guest speaker next week that further emphasizes this point. I hope you have a great week. My Banzai Yoshino cherry tree that I'm forcing spring on is in stage one if it's going to blossom this year. It's four years old, and if it does, it will be its first year, and I'm hopeful. I can't wait for you to join me next week, and thanks for sharing. Let's keep the podcast growing.